UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone, we are back in our respective rooms. This is UK Motor Talk. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. I'm Graham. Hello. I'm David, I think. At least it looks like me on the screen. How is everyone? (laughs) I have got a toddler's cold. Not too bad. I'm sat here in the dark just so it keeps the electricity bill down. Mm. (laughs) Everyone switches off the lights. This is UK Motor Talk after dark and not because of uh, of adult content, just because electricity is now a million pounds a kilowatt or whatever it is. Just just after everybody's been encouraged by electric cars as well. I think if you had a, a V8 Mustang rather than a Mach-E Mustang, you'd be looking pretty smug right about now, wouldn't you? I noticed that Graham hasn't dimmed his light, and I think that tells you yep. the difference here between the generations. You can see who could afford to leave their, their, their lights burning, those candles burning into the darkness. My house is a little unusual in as much as it's got one, yeah, only one, south-facing window. Everything else faces north. Uh, if one doesn't uh, switch the electric lights on, you can't see a damn thing. To be honest, driving up and down my road, it looks like there's been a blackout because I can't see any lights on at all, but that might be because everyone's asleep because I live in what is practically a retirement village. Um, the, the Most of the posts that I get is ready meals, do you want new teeth, do you need a stair lift, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Mm. Mm. I nearly bought a house with a stair lift. It had it there, and the, uh, the people who were selling it just said, oh, no, that will stay here when we go. And, it's like, and I couldn't decide if, uh, if I did end up buying the house, whether to keep the stair lift or not. I thought it seemed like a good idea. It seemed like one of those sort of novelties that actually, if it's there, you might as well use it, mightn't you? Because it's probably effort to take it out. Well, and they're, they're somewhat bespoke to the house as well because of the angle of the stairs and the treads and everything else. They're not worth anything second hand. I did work for a company, though, that would always have their annual meetings in Eastbourne for the purposes of the fact that the hotels all had stair lifts or lifts. So when you'd go out to the meeting and get absolutely hammered, you could still get back upstairs to your room. Hmm. Um, this oh, yeah, was this, that's a good way of doing it. One of the managers fell down the stairs, face planted the stairs, um, whilst absolutely sozzled. I think put his tooth through his lip or something. And then after then, everything we went to had a stair lift. I couldn't quite understand it. That was the, the genuine reason why. What a great idea. But actually, if uh, if the other half had made you a cup of tea and wanted to send it upstairs, rather than tea's ready and you're upstairs and you've got to go to all the effort of walking downstairs, getting it and coming back up again. They could just whack it on the stair lift and press the button and just send it up to you. Brilliant. Yes, and it's very steady. And to be fair, I did stack it today, just in typical me fashion. I fell down about four or five steps, not four or five flights, but halfway down my stairs today, uh, carrying the sides to a cot, which then embedded themselves in my arm. My elbow embedded itself in the wall. So I've, I've made a right mess of things. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, is, uh, is your wall all right? No, it isn't. Um, last time oh. I did this, I've, last this happens a lot. The last time I did this, I went down the stairs and hit the wall so hard I went through the wall and separated it with my head. This time round, I've got two big dents in it. Um, it's not a brick wall, uh, so I'll just just point this out here. But it is really thick because it had to be built to the new building regs, so it's it's really thick. If you're going to carry on doing this, can you install a ring doorbell on the stairs for us, please? Because we you know we feel we're missing out. It is traditional. We've had the pleasure of watching you stack it out to the front door, so uh, I feel it's only right that we get the interior shots as well. Yeah, come on. <laughs> One for the team. Oh, God, yeah. I've, I've taken many for the team. <laughs> anyway, otherwise, how are we all doing? You're collectively recovering from 
the British Motor Show. David's recovering from the tour of Scotland, including the Jim Clark Museum, and I'm recovering from a disastrous trip to and from Spain. The UK Motor Talk budget for uh, for international travel, somebody's definitely got the the thicker end of the wedge here, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) I think last time we spoke, actually, you were stranded in Spain. So you you obviously escaped, and did you realise it would have been better to go by car? Um, yes, and I shall be doing so in future because the escape method, and um, I'm still having this legal argument with the uh, broiling airline, I won't say too much about that, but uh, to get out of Spain, I had to abandon Bilbao, take a coach to Madrid, which took four hours, and then book another set of flights back to Gatwick on another airline. So total cost to get out of Spain, I guess, including the overnight hotel, something the order of 600 quid, Ooh. which I'm trying to recover. So. Good luck with that. Now, that said, I once delivered a car to Manchester and caught the train back. <laughs> and I forget how, was it 175 or 275 pounds? It was a lot of money, wasn't it? It was, it was 100 and something. And I did question, it I almost charged you half of it back for just being reckless with the company money. Yes. <laughs> so... I considered buying a car and driving it home because I figured you could do that. If you, if you could find anything with any sort of MOT on it, and even if it had a month on it, you could probably spend three or four hundred quid and make your money back. It's many magazine stories have been written about that very thing, haven't they? People going, well, you know, I sold my classic to somebody up in uh, Edinburgh. And I thought rather than paying, as you say, through the nose and sort of giving away your firstborn and a kidney to get back, I found myself a nice Citroen CX or something and trundled back in joy. I mean, that what an adventure that would be. Perhaps we ought to do that as a story. You no, know, go and strand somebody miles away and say, here's 200 quid, get home, but you're not allowed to use public transport. Have fun. Mm. Well, I think Graham uh, is probably the person for that based on, on this experience. But you... <laughs> yeah, already. <laughs> well, I didn't know whether maybe you thought about getting yourself a, a Sayat or something and driving back home in it. There must have been something out there, some, some sun-faded little gem that would otherwise have rotted away in this country. Maybe something Italian or something, if it's, you know, that's something that we, we would love to have over here now, like an old panda or something, and then driven it the whole way home. Probably be too much of a shock to the system, though. You get it out of the Mediterranean, and the closer it gets, to the British coast, more and more of it just disintegrates until by the time you get to Dover, it's just a seat and a steering wheel. I think actually, by the time if you if you did get it onto British soil, you'd have to uh, to pay the VAT on it immediately on arrival, wouldn't you? Because everything oh, yeah. due to Brexit, everything is now an import. So uh, Mr. HMRC wants his twenty percent of it, doesn't he? So you would have to uh, bin it somewhere on the outskirts of Dieppe or Calais or wherever, and go on foot for the last bit. I'm just envisioning now as you approach the end in a born identity sort of style in a Renault 5 that's just falling to pieces, get straight to the docks and then just rolling out of it as it goes flying off the edge, misses the ferry, just goes straight into the water. I'm here. <laughs> the way it, would you become go. A, it would become a coral reef, so it would be, uh, it would be putting something back into the uh, marine life of the English Channel. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> the English Channel needs more junk at the bottom of it, <laughs> whether it be uh, French no, or otherwise. Yeah, I think there's probably enough that's buried down there already um, without without us adding more to it. But anyway, maybe we should do this, find out. I'm, I'm, you know what I'm like, I'm, I'm a sucker for old toot. So I think maybe we should do that, go somewhere, buy the cheapest possible car that we can and see if it will make us home. With the proviso that you don't let HMRC get their hands on it. We could do it within the UK. I mean, that would be we fun. Could. 
Yeah, just yeah. go well, go up to Scotland while it's still part of the UK and see how far back you can get. You know, mm-hmm. see how much money you've got left over for fuel. And having done down here to Scotland and back in something which likes a drink, <laughs> probably won't be very much, I can tell you. But it's probably mm. what now. Did, uh, actually, what did you go in? We went in our car. I went in my car, the, um, the VR6-powered Skoda, which, to be fair, on the way up was doing – Averaging at about at one point, I saw thirty-four, which is Ooh, for that thing that's, is that's very pretty. Good. It is bloody marvelous. I was yeah, I was surprised. My son took a picture of the readout from the back of the car, so I've got it as evidence. And uh, we basically turned up because we went up to Glasgow the night before before we went over to where we were really actually staying. And it was I think it, when we parked it just outside of Glasgow. Uh, East Kilbride, it was saying 31 and a half. So when you consider we had the lights and the wipers on pretty much all the way because it was pouring with rain all the way through the Lake District and around Manchester, as is traditional. Enjoyable drive. And we weren't hanging about, driving sensibly and carefully, and it wasn't busy, put it that way, and it just made the journey that much more pleasant. And it made me realise that that was what exactly the car was designed to do. It's just a Mm. long-distance cruiser, and you can barely hear it a ticker. It's brilliant the journey back was a nightmare because every idiot and his wife was herring down the a1m1 and driving i mean it was psychopathic the driving but even so even on the way back we managed to do 32 by the time we parked it, it was exactly 32 miles per gallon so it it's could be a lot worse when you consider that's what we used to get in most cars really back in the old days there and again petrol was half the price it is now but we've mm-hmm. been spoiled haven't we with diesels which will do sort of 50 60 easily you tend to think why would you buy a petrol? But to be honest, didn't spend a huge amount on fuel, certainly not as much as I thought. But yeah, it's probably not something I'd be able to do on a daily basis. But it was it was exactly the right car for the journey. And it was absolutely wonderful. There's two things about that, I think. Firstly, you don't realise if you've been driving something with a, a smaller engine or whatever. I remember when I went from a Fiesta to an A4, the difference in the amount of fatigue you'd have after a long journey, it's it's a lot more relaxing and you you arrive everywhere a lot less tired when you've got something that's a bit more power and is a bit more comfortable. But secondly, Jim and I were chatting the other day about fuel and we were talking about the cost of it and my car is, this is the Mini this is, will do, I mean, it actually did 200 miles the other day to 73 quid, which I thought wasn't too bad. And I don't really mind putting it into that because I quite enjoy driving it. But if I had to put that amount of fuel into something that I didn't enjoy driving, that wouldn't be okay by me. And I think that's because, you know, we're petrol heads and we enjoy driving bits and pieces. You probably didn't mind the fact, well, you're obviously quite happy about the fact that your car was 32, but you probably didn't mind putting in your couple of hundred, 300 quid, whatever fuel or whatever it was that you put in there, because it's something you enjoyed driving. Yeah. No, I mean, it was really quite surprising just how easy everything was and just, I mean, as long as it, you could find somewhere with a, a super unleaded pump and pretty much all up there, they were all the proper 99 stuff as well, rather than the 97. You'd just find a Tesco's or a Shell or something. And, and it was quite a pleasant surprise to find that it wasn't, apart from the motorway services, which are all obviously still extortionate, nowhere really was anywhere close to 180. It was all in the 170s, 160s. So, I mean, the wholesale price mm. of petrol is definitely coming down just as the price of everything else goes up. So perhaps we're all are going to be living in our cars from now on. That's the only way you can afford to have any heat, put the heater well, on and sit in the car. Petrol has come down uh, a bit, but then seemed to uh, to stay roughly where it is. Diesel has started creeping up again, though. 
which yeah. is uh, a little bit worrying. It's not quite in time for North American heating market yet for uh, for demand for that, but it's um, no, a little bit worrying it's creeping up and, and going in the wrong direction. But I almost think it's for, for a lot of cars, as you say, 30-odd is, uh, is not great by modern standards or diesel standards, but back in the day was okay. But I always used to find I got, back in the day, when I first started driving, I'd always get the same MPG almost no matter what the car. Like I would get if I was taking my... Um, MR2 to work, which was quite a light car, but a two-litre petrol engine. I was having fun in it on the back roads towards Guildford, as uh, as Mike can testify to. I do like to press on down those, and uh, and I'd always get 32 to the gallon, which I thought was pretty good. But on occasion, I borrow my little sister's Fiesta 1.25 ZTEC, and uh, in thistle purple, and take that to give it a run and. For, uh, for an engine of half the power and only slightly more half the displacement, I used to get 32 to the gallon. So it, it, it engine size was completely irrelevant, but I used to drive the Fiesta at pretty much the same pace as the MR2, because uh, the chassis could handle it, but you had to work the engine a hell of a lot harder to get That's up to the same pace. So it was uh, driving the MR2 at sort of 60% or driving the Fiesta at 11 and a half tenths. I mean, both were equally good fun. Uh, and probably about the same amount of time. But yeah, I just found it odd that that I get the same miles per gallon out of the pair of them. By chance, incidentally, the two of us, so your sister had a purple Fiesta and my wife had a purple Fiesta. We didn't know that we both owned them and probably both owned them about the same time. Both of them were in a batch with the Reg TRD at the end. And I'm sure both of them were known as a purple turd. That, that seems to be they the nickname of all turd. of them. Yeah, or I did, I did occasionally look at the number plate and think, oh, actually, maybe I should, if my MR2 was a bit newer, I'd put it on that, because, of course, it's Toyota Racing Development. Yes, but turd is, is probably more appropriate. It was a lovely colour, though, like a, a, a metallic-y Cadbury's purple, but it was a really nice colour. It was a fantastic colour. I love that mm. colour. Oh, brilliant. Looked nice on a 90s BM, I reckon. Would look quite smart. Something on an M3. It would really, really suit that. Thinking of, of old motors, actually, I managed to get the onion out of the garage at the weekend. Shock. For the first time in about three and a half years, I can see David's making notes here, and managed to get it down to a local show, and it got the whole way, whole way down from my house to the beach before I pulled onto the showground and it cut out. Fantastic. <laughs> so it got there the whole day, and I spent a lot of time talking to people about it, um, and you can see a bit more of this on, on YouTube. So, of course, find us. We are at UK Motor Talk on, on YouTube and, of course, on the socials. But it, it occurred to me that it's quite a bizarre experience when you think about it that so many people want to chat to me about an orion which when i bought it was probably the equivalent of owning something like a, a 2005 focus now it, it seemed odd that, that i'd be standing there chatting to people about a 2005 focus in whatever 15 years time a weird idea that that a car that was just so humdrum and and basic and everywhere it now is a, a point of comment but there you go. I thought it was just me with my weird taste, but apparently there are other people that join yeah, me. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've said this before on the podcast, haven't we? Is it you know will a, a Fiesta one liter EcoBoost ZTEC with a city pack ever be a rare car? Ever be a talking point, etc.? I kind of think they made so many of them that actually no, it won't be. But have so many of them now blown up or early ones started to rot away that actually give it another five years? And yes, they will be a rare car. The early ones, anyway. Mm. I remember being at a show years and years ago and there was a bunch of um, old boys stood there and they were banging on about the fact that things like 
Escort RS turbos and Cosworth, and this will never be a classic because they haven't got chrome bumpers and they weren't made in Dagenham. <laughs> and they weren't. They're not a Mark One Escort, not a Mark Two Escort. This, that, the other, blah 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 blah. It's a jelly mold, bloody Sierra. And then you see them go through the auction. So RS500, you know, 150 grand or something. And you think, mm, okay. Mm. I would say that's probably a classic now. Well, talking of Fords that reach stratospheric figures, did we all see how much uh, Princess mm. Diana's went for? Yeah, we did. Was yeah, six hundred and fifty plus. Yes, plus fees. Seven twenty-two plus, with, with the fees included, I think it was. But yeah, certainly six fifty. So, if you don't know about this car, it was a Ford Motor Company car. One of, and there, there's debate about this. So, unquestionably, someone will will come flooding in with a letter about this, but. Effectively, there were three of them that were built, three, not two, but three, that were painted black and not white. There were a couple of red ones as well. Princess Diana's, a decoy car that was also painted in black. And Princess Diana's, I think, I'm trying to remember the red, something like C482 Har or something, or I can't remember anyway, but whatever it is. And another one which was supposedly built for, I think it was Prince Michael of Kent, but three three vehicles. And... At some point in its life, I think it was given away, possibly by Kiss or someone similar in a competition, and ultimately ended up in a private collection called the Bonkers Collection in Wales, which is fascinating. It had loads and loads of low mileage cars, um, all, all Fords pretty much. I think most of them have been sold off. And recently, obviously, made its way to auction. And uh, Hammer went down at £650,000. Um, lots of speculation as to who this, is, this has been bought by. Someone said Chris Evans, but I don't actually know the answer. don't know if you guys do. No, the tragedy of that that car at that price is just think how many classic cars, genuine, real, quality classic cars you could buy for six hundred and fifty grand, a lot. Mm. Hey, what are you saying about the escorts? <laughs> Thank you, but no, it's only that figure because of the association. And of I can think of, I could build a five or six car collection. For that sort of money, just five or six. I'm thinking of many cars I could buy for uh, for that amount of how money. The, uh, how the other half live? Yeah, here we go. Sat there in his just mansion with it. his lights on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I did hear another rumor that of the vehicles that that survived. One of them was bought and crushed deliberately, so as to to not uh, as to not hamper the value or the purity of the remaining Diana car. Whether there's any truth in that, I'm not sure. But there are a few people that have said the same thing, witnessed it being destroyed. So. Who knows? Who knows? When you consider, I mean, I've just had a look, looking for other, obviously uh, well-known, expensive and rare Ford cars. There was a Ford RS two hundred with only five and a half thousand miles came up recently on collecting cars. That went for two hundred and thirty-three and a half. I'd uh, like to have which, that. Which exactly? <laughs> I think. I, I mean, you could have had basically three of those, couldn't you? Or two and a bit, three for the price of one that once had diana sat in it which is obviously as as you rightly say graham the provenance is everything with that car but god i'd i'd so much rather have an rs200 i'd rather have three of the bloody things rather than a, a slightly liggy rs turbo there's not much of a demand for ex um, princess of wales mercedes though is there <laughs> Ooh, too soon too soon <laughs> too soon <laughs> you can take that out as you wish <laughs> Talking of petrol engines and the like, and uh, our enjoyment or otherwise of, how's the Peugeot coming along, or is that? Oh, um... oh yes, yes. What is happening no, about I, the Peugeot? I, we I, must I, know. I, on Friday, I have to 
grovel to my local mechanic in the hopes that his uh, <laughs> superior diagnostics can actually sort the bloody timing out because I can't get it to run for more than about five or six minutes at a time. I and think you're about to hit the absolute zenith of the mechanic's labour rate, which is yes. if you leave the car with me and leave me alone, it'll cost you, I don't know, let's say if it's an independent mechanic, it's £50 an hour. If, I know uh, his if you stand rate. there and watch it, £70 an hour. If you've had to go and f*** it up and expect me to fix it, then it's £150 an hour and go yes. away. <laughs> yes. No, I, it, it, it ain't going to be going to a Peugeot dealership. It's going to an independent mechanic who... I mean, this was a problem in the first place, just, uh, just, to, uh, uh, just to point this out. Well, he didn't have the, um, the locking kit specific to that and didn't particularly want to invest in it. Now, I've invested in the locking kit. So the locking kit and the rest of the kit that I've bought will go in the car to him. And the defasers, which were the problem, appear to be the problem, I've replaced and uh, with the locking kit and so on and so on and so on. So uh, it appears that the timing is not quite right, but is sortable, but not doable with with kit that I've got. If you charge your own time out at only five pounds an hour, let's say, um, say no, let's let's pay yourself minimum wage. So pay yourself ten pounds odd an hour, and all the mm. tools you bought, you're probably going to have this cam belt done and dusted for less than ten grand, aren't you? I think. So it's it's a bargain. Not much less. Speaking. Not much less. <laughs> no, but 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 given that the. <laughs> The Peugeot dealership wanted two plus parts. Um, £2,000? They wanted two grand plus parts. We'll just buy another ca- Peugeot. It, it did remind me, do you remember I sent a list after an earlier conversation of all the various cars I'd owned? And I realised afterwards I had a complete mental black spot of the Peugeot 806 that I'd owned, relatively <laughs> briefly, which launched its engine completely one day. Timing belt? And... Uh, I sold it needing an engine change for, I think, 1,500 quid, and it was worth wow. about six. So there you go. Yeah. So, so the, that's the, a, a repression. No more pressure. There, but there was, I was uh, chatting to uh, a customer of, uh, of ours, and he's, uh, he bought a car from us and then lived, I think he was German, living in Belgium at the time, so we delivered it to him. All was good early on in the car's life, and everything ran well, and he's now in New Zealand enjoying a, a picturesque retirement. But got in touch as he'd had a, a couple of issues with the car and was trying to um, track down all the parts and and but also his mechanic was trying to track down the the knowledge and expertise on how to change all these parts and uh, you know when he'd said oh it's uh, something had happened with the um, the oil pickup uh, and timing belt delamination etc etc and been run with the right oil and um, he said well I, th- I think I've got all the bits we need but it's, uh, it's how to do it and the manuals and bits and pieces you know can you help so I said yeah I sent all the uh, the instructions over to uh, to his mechanic and, uh, and that was about two weeks ago but the last I heard of him was uh, okay I'm going to read all this and then come back to you and that was two weeks ago so he's still reading it I think mm. um, but my last bit of advice was well if you can find a rear-ended one with an engine that works then uh, I'd, I'd probably just put an engine in it rather than trying to change turbos and oil pumps and pickups and cam belts etc at the same time there's just no room in there so it's easier to take the engine out so if you're going to do that and you think the engines maybe run a bit starved of oil 
I think you're best off just putting a new engine in it. And that was, um, I think that's the way he's going to go in the end. But this, this is the problem with a lot of modern cars trying to get to anything, how, uh, how much you need to take out. You know, the, the instructions were, okay, I want to start here. I want to change the cam belt. Uh, okay, but before that, you need to take this bit out. Click. Okay, but before you do that, you need to take this bit out. And, and you were 20 subsections earlier before yeah, you came up yeah. with the first bit you had to take out. And it's just how much stuff needed to come out. It's, it's you know, probably a week's work to do all this. It probably owes me at least three days, maybe four days labour so far. And with hindsight, I should have changed the bloody engine because nearly the amount of work. And it would have perhaps made more sense to just scrap the bloody vehicle and make sure I never buy another Peugeot because, you know, it's just caused non-stop grief since we bought it. It's an anti-pollution problem, which is caused by timing problem. And uh, that's what I've tried to get around. But it's, it has cost me, you know, I'm a pretty decent DIY mechanic. And I really struggled uh, with, with this one. But the thing that I should mention is that they changed not long after this particular one to cam belts. And I've done several cam belts to a doddle by comparison. This is a bloody cam chain with all the bits and pieces mm. that goes with that and the tensioner, and you have to measure the deflection of the chain at certain locations and torque, the torque of all the parts is, is obviously critical. And I can see why they got rid of it. And, and the only video I could find that was any bloody use at all on how to change the cam chain was done with the engine out on a bench yeah, by somebody in the factory. That's definitely the way. I mean, to do an EcoBoost timing belt, it's about 1,200 quid. You have to take the side of the engine off to do it. Uh, mm. And it's it's Kevlar reinforced. It runs through oil. And hence, if it falls to bits because you put the wrong oil in it, it will block up the, the oil strain sure. and all kinds of, kinds of problems. I have got to do the timing belt on the engine which I'm building up for the onion. And that has a variable cam timing system. But the engine is out. And I do have all the right bits. And I'm thinking, should I, should I try this or not? Um, I think I might get uh, I might get someone to do it for me. I think it's probably be the safest option all round, based on experience. Yeah, I think having a, a workshop full of highly specialist trained chaps to do it for us is uh, is much much nicer, isn't it? But I think that's always the way. When we've um, flicked through bits and pieces, we were looking at a roll cage for the Fiesta the mm. other day, weren't we? And at the bottom, yep. it said, you know, a, a very easy DIY install for anybody proficient with welding and welding techniques. And I thought. It's probably an easy DIY install for somebody who knows somebody who has welding (laughs) techniques and equipment. So actually, I thought that's a very, very easy DIY install. I put the cage in the workshop. I put the car in the workshop. I give a man a couple of quid, and when I come back, it's all done. That's the best way to do it. When you see something that looks absolutely delicious to eat, it would be very complicated to make. What you could do is just go to somewhere that sells it. Yes. And then they'll make it for you. But not at Peugeot prices. Not at Peugeot prices. I I can't afford to eat in places that have food at Peugeot prices anyway. No. (laughs) I remember going into a a steakhouse and they had the option. You had whichever steak you wanted, obviously. And then they had this, I think they called it a hot rock or something similar. It's a piece of slate, which they they get to a million degrees. And I said, what's the idea behind this? So well, we bring the, the slate out to your table and they bring out the, the cut of beef and then you can cook it exactly how you want it. And it's only a few pounds more expensive, whatever it was, five pounds more expensive. I said, so let me come, come into a steakhouse. 
and you want me to cook my own food and pay more for the privilege. The whole point of me going to a steakhouse is that you can cook it how I want it. That's you the whole point. You won't be getting a tip, boys. You will not be getting a tip. <laughs> We've gone slightly off topic. I think, well, actually, we're, we're about sort of half an hour in and haven't really touched the topic yet. So I think we're, we were going to chat about a new car for you, weren't we, Dave? That's what we kind of planned yes. to chat about. Well, potentially, yes, I, which is vaguely of interest because of my, my trip to the Caledonian shores. Um, interestingly this is, enough... This is, for, for those who have zoned out, this is, the, this is the useful motoring advice section of the podcast now. This is, the, uh, this is well, what you actually signed up for. <laughs> well, let's, let's not overplay it or write checks we can't quite cash just yet. But we had a holiday up in Scotland. We stayed up at, just over the border from Berwick in a place called St Abbs where you can rent the lighthouse keeper's cottage and it's Ooh. absolutely fantastic and it's a working lighthouse it's one of these little ones that's set further down the cliff rather than a big tall one but literally the front door of our place looked out onto the steps which led down to this little lighthouse absolutely amazing it's down a two mile right. track through the middle of nowhere to get to I'll, I'll share some photos it's absolutely amazing never been anywhere like it but went all that way and um, ended up because this big big cottage had been divided into a couple of um, apartments and uh, in the one next door to us was a, a nice man from Bolton who had a, a 14 year old Audi A6 3 litre diesel which as anyone who knows will know they're not slow these things and mm. he was a bit of a bit of a car fan anyway turns out he knew exactly what it was that I had and actually wants to buy it so <laughs> you go all that way to park right next to someone who can actually tell what the car is and it's not it's not that special but there's very few of them and anyone who knows about them it's only geeks and saddos like me and um like us well, we had, yes like us yes okay <laughs> yeah. anyway it turns out he was very interested in it and made lots of noises so we're going to keep in touch although i'm not entirely sure we're on the same page when it comes to how much he wants to pay for it but there we go that's a conversation for another day but it did get me thinking as i have been that i've had the thing for a few years and it's still not got a lot of miles on it for its age and i'm now looking at trying to replace it with something similar now a sleeper appeals for obvious reasons it's quite nice making progress under the radar as we all know if you have anything that shouts look at me it either involves people trying to race you off the lights or trying to pull you over with blue lights neither mm. of which i'm particularly keen on mm. so they're so unsporting turning the lights on after they they've lost after they lost, <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah so the equivalents I've been looking for, there, there's not, I, I look forward to being corrected, but there's nothing's really leapt out apart from perhaps the Golf R in estate form, mm, which is yes. actually a very subtle thing, particularly if you have the de-chrome option. So you don't have the chromed wing mirrors and you don't have the big fat four exhausts looking back at you like howitzers because they're big old things on those. If you have them in the darker colour, then they're a lot more subtle and they just look dirty and blend into the bumper. But the only other thing that really sort of has kept coming back up to mind is the newer equivalent of what I've got, which is the Superb 3 with the 280 TSI engine, the turbo, basically a slightly detuned version of what's in the Golf R. And I quite like that mm. because the new Skoda is almost, well, it's pretty much as subtle as what I've got now. And it's not, not a VRS. It's not badged as a VRS. You can get a sport line version, which is slightly lowered and looks a little bit more weapon. But if you go for the sort of executive spec, it really does look like any other Skoda Superb, but it will do 0 to 60 in five and a half seconds, which really quite appeals to me. 
Hmm. Well, seeing as though you have a, a punch on for Italian eventual misery interspersed with joy, <laughs> something like a 159 sport wagon. I do like those a lot. They're lovely looking things, but I do know that most of the dashboard will end up in the boot like it would with the 156 I used to have. I'm oh, that's, that's just a sign of the sheer power and torque. That the car has, that it can rearrange Celebrate. its own insides, let alone the insides of its passengers. Well, it's, mm. it's rearranging the insides of the gearbox I'd be more concerned about, to be honest, because once bitten, twice shy on that one. And I, I swear, maybe one day is a classic, but not as my everyday car. No way in hell is that going to happen again. <laughs> I'm not sure that Alphas are sleepers either, really. I think they're kind of the opposite, because it doesn't matter which one you go for, they all look like they should be quick. If you look yeah. at the, the Juniors, right, so. all of them look beautiful and look like they should be going at a million miles an hour and and they don't the golf r does appeal to me certainly because I, I looked at one before i bought the s3 it's fundamentally the same car underneath it's got the same uh forget it's an ea triple eight engine someone will tell me i'm sure the two liter which is also in the leon cupra or cupra leon or whichever way round they want to call it now but it's not a set but it is a set but it's a cupra but whatever which is also i would say quite tempting and you can have in 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 state form Pretty economical, brilliantly quick. Um, I think I was doing just sub four and a half seconds to 60. Admittedly, quite a bit smaller than the Superb. And I think the estate's 0.2 of a second slower or something. But it's definitely plus one for this. And I I was actually sat um, in the car park opposite an RS4 the other day. And that was in black without the badges on. And Audi, I think, do a very good job of making cars that are the quick versions not look very different from the ones that aren't admittedly with slightly wider hips and things but bearing in mind that everything's an s line this that and the other anyway they're all the the basic ones look sporty even if they aren't then when you have got one of the sporty ones it's difficult to tell them apart with no badges on this is very true yes i mean this the car that our erstwhile next door neighbor up at the lighthouse for the week had was uh i mean 14 years old on a private plate it really did look in fantastic condition and it was because he's he's looked after it well and it Again, didn't look like butter would melt, yet the thing will do 0 to 60 in a shade over six seconds. Six speed box, it's got, telling me all about it, it's got the full sort of press a button and it'll stiffen its suspension, the whole thing. And again, it just blends in because it's a sort of 10, 15 year old Audi and it will just dawdle along with the traffic, but you could probably embarrass a good few people even now with that thing and still get 600 miles out of a tank. Whereas mine will do the same, but it, you'll only get 300 miles out of a tank, but it will make mm. a very good noise. So, you know, it's all these. I did wonder about maybe going back to diesel, but I sort of discounted that very, very quickly because they're going to be legislated out of existence probably a lot quicker than the petrol will, I would have thought. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think if, if you want to drive it, although, uh, as we've said on this podcast, and lots of people have pointed out, you know, the. Petrol and diesel cars aren't being banned flat out. It's just the sale of new ones, and they'll still be running for many, many years. But there's nothing to stop a uh, a local town, city, or county council just all of a sudden saying, right, that's it, no diesels within the ring road, etc. Or only allowed in after dark or every third Sunday if it's a bit cloudy, etc. So it's, um, yeah, so I I, uh, don't know, then 3.30... BMW Touring, something like that. If, if we're going petrol, maybe a 330, I think, rather than going up to the, the 5, unless you desperately need the extra room. Mm. Um, I mean, I would say something like a, a 540 
Oh, yes. Touring would yes, be uh, now you're oh, rather, yeah, rather yeah. nice, but that's very, it, it very depends classy how much you can remortgage your house for for, uh, for fuel costs. If we're going to try and keep it somewhere around 30-something to the gallon, then mm. then a 330, perhaps. The 330s, I do like them. The 335s with the twin exhaust, one on either side of the Ooh, car, yes. do appeal. But again, you try finding one that hasn't been to the moon and back that's affordable. I mean, nothing's mm. affordable, is it? Everything's stupid. But it did get me thinking. I mean, obviously, as we all do, we play the um, the Auto Trader app roulette and go, "What can I find for this price with this acceleration?" You know, at yes. my price level. And I did find a few things. I mean, the, the obvious one being the slightly older, sharing the same engine in a slightly better state of tune, the R thirty six Passat. There's a lot of um, Japanese reimports of those. A lot that have Rare come back beast. in. And uh, yeah, they are very rare. Around here, the um, in the same way they actually used to use the estate version of what I've got, the armed response yacht around in sort of various parts of the county used to tool around in a blue R36. And it was, yeah, uh, yeah you, you knew it was the police because it was the only one on the roads around here. You, <laughs> they're rare as hen's teeth, those things, aren't they? Mm. Um, but it did get me thinking, just sort of sleeper cars of yore, you know, things that, we've all sort of known about and liked in the past that perhaps we haven't thought of as sleepers, but really so when you stop to think, there's probably more than you think. I mean, for example, the Subaru Forester with the full fat engine, that sort of thing looks mm. like the sort of thing a, a local veterinary surgeon would drive mm, around exactly. in to go and sort of tend to horses in the middle of a field, but it'll do naught to 60 in just over five and a half seconds. That yep. appeals no, I, to me. I do think with that, is that with the boxer engine in it? Though? Yes, yeah. So I think you would you would probably spend more money on fuel in that car than you would do in gearboxes for an <laughs> Alfa Romeo one five nine in ten years because they from uh, I'd said earlier I always got thirty two to the gallon out of every car the one exception to that being a uh, it was a Subaru Legacy not not a Spec B not a not an anything just a Legacy Touring. Two liter, normally aspirated, automatic, and, uh, and on my way to the Lotus factory, I thought this this fuel economy is rubbish. There's either something wrong with this, or or I've been driving it like a lunatic. So I uh, I reset everything when I was cruising along uh, an A road in Norfolk, which, as we all know, is billiard table flat, and at a steady seventy miles an hour on the flattest surface on the planet, it was doing nineteen to the gallon, <laughs> cruising at seventy. It was awful this thing it was horrendous all that and 540 pound a year tax as well which uh won't yeah something like down. that and naught to 60 in about 12 seconds as well it certainly wasn't quick the worst of all worlds i mean the the, the antithesis of that i mean if we want to go back to the diesel idea i mean there were the um the golf what people referred to as the gt tdis if you remember there was the the golf mark mm. 4 which you could have yes. in various states of tune depending on which state of tune depended on how many of the letters gt d were in red i think was it gti i can't remember what they were but if you had all three letters in red you got the full 150 brake horsepower and those things were weapon they were really really mm. quick and mm. i think they're still pretty sought after now i mean because obviously the fabia was the other one which had the same engine the 1.9 and i think yeah. a lot of people have had them sort of basically turned into 150 spec and those things don't hang about either and they're quite subtle 
I always quite like those. Well, they are, apart from the fact that when you see them disappear at the lights, well, you don't see them disappear at the lights. It's like following a battleship. Because <laughs> it's, black. it's a huge black... And, and all you ever see is little stickers on the back bumper saying, no poke without smoke or something on them, you know. <laughs> uh, it was still a bizarre idea having a, you know, the diesel hot hatch, I think. But there were a few. Even things like... I had a, a Mondeo STDR. An S... Ooh, hang on a second. An STD? Right. An STD. <laughs> It was an STD. That's not good. Anyway, yep. Adam Mondeo STD, and that thing had a, a a tune on it, which brought it up to about 200 brake horsepower or something from its original 155. But the torque was more than the Mark II RS Focus, and that used to absolutely fly that thing. That was a, a real surprise and quick and comfortable and relatively economical. There, there seems to be so many when you think back at it, even things like, it, I suppose if you didn't know what you were looking for, the Sierra Sapphire Cosworth, as opposed to the whale-tailed, bewinged three-door. Very good car. The Lotus Carlton. You know, the stuff of legend, 40RA, of course, the one that uh, ended up in a canal and had its roof pushed in. This is the one that got nicked and the police could never catch it, but eventually did get destroyed, despite all the um, the urban myths and legends that it survived. It was eventually pulled out of a canal with the roof bent in. But the guy that owned it has bought another one and put the number plate back on it. So for, there is a, there is now a 40RA Lotus Lotus Carlton that does exist. Nice. Yeah, which I think is, which is, is pretty fascinating. And then if you think following that sort of Ford theme and that same sort of era, there were lots of 2.9 V6 Cosworth Grenadas and, all, and, and the like. We just don't really see so much of them these days. Certainly mainstream manufacturers don't bother putting big engines in anything anymore. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's not in vogue, but... Most of them have small capacity turbos, don't they? Even more so. You don't get big power estates anymore, do you? I mean, no. uh, going back in um, uh, back in the time, there was the uh, what was the uh, the Mitsubishi, the the Galant, or yes, Galant, however you pronounce yes. it in this country. Yeah, yeah. Those were uh, I always loved the look of those. I thought they were brilliant and, yeah. and quite quick as well. So it will be an unusual old school choice, and mm. maybe prices on those haven't quite gone balmy yet. You never know; they might do in a few years, perhaps. A Mark II Granada 2.8 iX estate would be quite nice, you know, with the the chrome roof rails and yeah. the the twin spots, all that. I used to hanker after them as a, I don't know why. I was always hoping perhaps my dad would get one as a family car. We ended up with a 505 estate, which was interesting in and of itself, but it wasn't quick, and it certainly didn't look as cool as the um, the slab sided Granada. Mm. But, but going That's back, I mean, well. I, they are bloody big things, and you know, especially when you're used to sort of sitting in the boot to be taken to school, you've got room, yeah. room to stretch your legs out when you could still do that sort of thing. But I did come up with a bit of a list of sort of some older sleeper cars. I mean, obviously, I, I think one going right back would be the Dolomite Sprint because that was a fairly subtle looking thing for its day, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. nippy two litre. Yeah. 16 valve first 16 valve engine i think i'm right saying very very quick very collectible now because there were never that many of them anyway a friend of mine had one and uh, his wife managed to rotate it on a dual carriageway so he and i spent a saturday afternoon bolting a paving slab in the boot made all the difference <laughs> our cdt teacher had one and he was um he was definitely invoked he used to actually lend it god knows what he was thinking he used to lend it to the uh, the car mechanic class and they used to go in and play around with the heads and all sorts of things and ruin the setup of his SU carbs and God knows what he was thinking. But uh, he was, you know, perhaps he was quite a, a nice beneficial chap and liked people to see what he had. 
But these days, like you say, they're rare as hen's teeth, aren't they? They are indeed fetching serious money. I think Volvos. We we can't we can't talk sleeper without thinking Volvo. T five. T five. T five. I mean, they, to to an extent, they are the the OG of the um of the manufacturer sleeper, aren't they? Really, they really are fast. So yeah, for their day, maybe not so much now. Uh, and when you think fast estate, do you still think Volvo? I'm not sure you do. So many police forces had them because for some reason they lasted a very long time and and they were very quick, some of the ones that they had. Mm. Well, that's always a, a good sign, isn't it? I mean, if you see the police using something as a as an unmarked car, there's a very good chance that it's a very good sleeper because obviously they want to blend in in something that looks like a plain wrapper. So that's why you'll see any number of black or grey Audis, Volvos, mainly BMWs these days, of course. Though they do seem to be going back to Volvo, which is interesting. There's a lot of those around. A newer Volvo with the, the 2.5 by part. I mean, again, maybe ignoring the uh, the fuel economy question, but the, uh, the 2.5 five-cylinder made a hell of a nice noise, and that went in a lot of uh, new, well, slightly newer Volvos, didn't it? Uh, in mm. fact, actually, I think, as you say, playing the uh, the auto trader game of I want this body style and this naught to sixty. I've uh, I've actually found the uh, Volvo with a two and a half turbo engine, and it is uh, it's the off road souped up version of Brad. Ooh. It is in uh, yes. it is in gold. It is the XC seventy. So uh, let me pop my uh, camera on, and I can show you. All Practical this. as well. I, I don't know. It pops into my head. Okay. I passed the off road version Ooh, of the nine five yes. Aero the other day. Whatever it was, the nine was it nine five X or. Cross. Oh, they were good. Uh, the nine fives were great. Yeah, I cool, keep I keep seeing those estates uh, at the moment. I don't know why, Oof. but suddenly see that some of them seem to have reappeared on the roads. Maybe it's people sort of starting to break them out after having sort of put them away once when Saab went the way of all things, and now they're thinking, right, the time is nigh for a revival. Mm. Mm. All the architects have run out of cars. Yeah, this Volvo looks good because I think it is. Uh, it's the same upholstery as uh, it is. It's the same colour as Brad. The same upholstery as Brad. Yes, it's sort of a uh, champagne. The, uh, gold. the previous owner has very nicely carpeted out the boot so that when you go murdering, you can uh, very easily dispose of a lot of the evidence. Yes. There is a mysterious black, what appears Body to be a black bag. tarpaulin at the back. Yeah. So that's uh, that. You have to have nice a tarpaulin in your Volvo. That's law. Um, oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. It's only done 150,000 miles. Oh, it's barely nothing. The, 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 there is blood in one of the dents on the outside, which is uh, which is good. And, uh, and one of the tyres like is Brad. made by a company called Solus. Ooh. And actually, that uh, that tyre appears to be a winter tyre and on the front left. So that'll, uh, that will make pitching it into roundabouts <laughs> entertaining, if nothing else. It gets but it's only £1,000, so I, th- I think you should buy it just to see what happens. Well, again, this oh, could be our sort of, you've got all the way north of the border, now you've got to get home not using a train sort of car, see how much you could haggle that down. If you did buy that, you wouldn't be limited to roads, because it's the off-road version. And, funnily enough, despite being ancient and thirsty, it is ULES compliant. Yes, this is a mystery, really? isn't it? This is mm. the absolute mystery. I don't understand how this works. The Mini is ULES compliant. It's £370 a year to tax. Mm-hmm. My car's ULES compliant. It's ridiculous. It's a, if it's, my if Volvo it's that, is, and I don't understand why, but it is. So if someone knows the answer to this, write to us, tweet us, whatever, we're at UK Motor Talk everywhere. Just send, tell us how this makes sense, because I just don't get it. You can have a relatively modern Econobox, and it's not ULES compliant, but you can have something like our old motors, which really aren't particularly economical or indeed green, 
and yet they're absolutely fine. I just don't understand how that happens. There must be some sensible reason. Well, to go back around to sort of where we started, I mean, my next, probably next on the list, realistically, is going to be another Suburban. It's going to be the the two-litre turbo version, the spiritual successor to what I have now. It is actually cheaper to tax. It's less emissions, and it will um, go further on a tank. It does better miles per gallon. It's it's all of all of the above. It is ridiculous, really, isn't it? And it and it's obviously ULES compliant. It's just the only sad thing is it just won't be quite as silly engine wise because I think mm. it was it was Volkswagen that sort of started all this, wasn't it? Back in the early nineties, where they they plonked the um, what was then the two point nine VR six twelve valve in the Golf to try and sort of keep up with BMW's straight six and then the big engines happened like you said the galant with its three liter v6 and back when this sort of thing was doable now we've gone full circle from sort of turbocharged fours back to turbocharged fours or even threes yeah i i found it odd that um i mean i've got the two liter turbo volvo and the one before was the 2.4 and i'm getting very much similar fuel consumption out of the two and I don't, I don't really kick it hard, but it's cruising on the motorways quite a lot, which is its natural home. So I get good fuel consumption there. But it's still, I mean, if I want to kick it hard, it pulls up very quickly. Mm. Quite a surprise for such a big tank. I'm just imagining Andrew laughing at us here because whilst he'd be edging this together, he'll be thinking that his estate car, which is an, an Astra, does approximately 970 mpg or something. I think you said he told us he'd filled it up three years ago. And it's still going. He drives it every day. Um, <laughs> it, it does do some ridiculous uh, economy. But there we go. What what price happiness? I guess I did quite enjoy. I had the five pot in my in Brad um, in my Volvo, and, and that was a, a great engine. What I particularly liked about it was when Glenn, who I work with, and I left work one day. I did go booting up the dual carriageway, and he explained to me that as I basically given it the full sausage egg and beans from cold bits of the engine were dancing out of the exhaust all over the front of his car. Um, I did wonder why I was winning by so much, but all kinds of things were coming out of the back of it, and it was obviously defending its honour by just shedding parts and weight as it was going along the road. Here we go, chaps. Here's, uh, here's one for you, David. So uh, on the basis that this particular vehicle has a sunstrip with FOMOCO written Ooh. on it in, uh, in rather fancy script, what do we think this is? Well, a Mondeo ST220 Estate? No. I don't know. 1.25 ZTEC Fiesta? No. <laughs> a Model T with a body kit? No. <gasps> Somebody's it, missed the boat there, haven't they? It's a Volvo. Wow. Someone this, this is I've a, never seen so many vents in a very well-modified uh, modified example. It's obviously had a problem V50. with overheating in the past. <laughs> Is it that because is a it's lot potentially of got a shared engine? Did they? No, Volvo didn't share the five-cylinder, did they? They did, but they uh, Ford used yeah, yeah, it in the yeah. ST and the RS Mark II Focus, and mm. also in the S-Max, which was a massive sleeper, if you think about yes. it. Yes. So seven seats. Yeah. 2.5-litre yeah. turbo. Crazy. Again, a popular choice with um, armed response units. Oh, there you are. It's even got neons, this car. Oh, mm. and it's colour-coded neons as well. Even better. They've really thought about this. And a rear strut brace as well. Well, that makes uh, it practical for an estate, doesn't it? Why would you put a strut brace? Yes, in an estate car. 
it's not quite the sleeper I had in mind, but you know, it's impressive body of work by somebody, mm. really, especially when they've got a pair of tin snips out and done that to the bonnet. You could go for the one that's next to it on the driveway because that's matte black, so that is oh, that's probably a looker. stealthy. Stealth. Probably radar evasive as well. Actually, that could be a good thing, couldn't it? Mm, good. I did look at a V60 Polestar once. That was a bit of a sleep if it hadn't been in bright blue and quite quick, but quite dated on the inside. If we're thinking of hotter states, let's not forget the V10 era. So mm. there was what, the M5, and someone will tell me what the model code was, but the one with the Daymed and the headlamps, which I quite like. I really like that shape of the 5 Series. I think it was a, a bangle designed one. And then there was the... Um, the Lamborghini. Yes, of course. 5.2 litres of... That thing was very subtle. That really yes. was an incredibly subtle thing. But um, an absolute nightmare. A, a wise man once um, once told me that that was not something to buy unless you actually owned the garage where it was going to be going regularly <laughs> for servicing. Because everything, like you said earlier on, everything has to be removed before you can get to anything. If you want to change a bulb, the front of the car's got to come off. That was the Citroen Maserati problem, wasn't it? That's, that is also so, the case so. of the Toyota Raigo, as I found out. Yeah. <laughs> at another end of the scale. I do seem to remember we sold some years ago, a company I worked at, we sold a W twelve Phaeton. It was cheap at something like thirty eight grand or something similar and had done three and a half thousand miles. It was you know, it, it had been barely used. But that sounded fantastic and went incredibly well. No one would ever expected that because it just looks like a fat Passat. Mm. It's a Bentley and drag, isn't it, really? Yeah. 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 And that, that's exactly what everyone was saying, a Varan Allen Partridge kind of way. So Japanese Mercedes. <laughs> my food up sort of accent was that? Hi, my <laughs> name's Alan Partridge. <laughs> Alan Partridge from drive. Australia. Yeah. The VW Passat. Oh, Been hanging around with uh, Dick Van Dyke for a little bit too much. <laughs> Good day, Mary Poppins. I'm the chimney sweep <laughs> called Blighty. That's it. Yeah. Well, anyway, food for thought. Thank you for that uh, excellent consumer oh, advice. Uh, we'll, there so that, that's, oh, that's just the prime sign. Oh, that's food for thought. He's going to ignore all of our advice. Oh, there, yes. There he oh, is. He's climbing I'm, aboard I'm, I'm the sure B-back a, bus. I've just got to I'm ask sure the wife. Been any useful advice in there whatsoever. It's been fun, though. Mm. Uh, no, but by, by a 3.30 touring. I, I think a 3.30 is the way. I mean, you only have to look, again, look at what the police are using, and basically that's probably the thing to have, albeit the ones that they're using are diesel, aren't they? The 3.30Ds, but they're not slow, but they will do mile after mile after mile. Perhaps that's the way to go. There's a, as I'm sure you'll be aware from going trawling auto trader, there are any number of ex-police supply places, mostly up in Birmingham and Manchester, where you can buy very white or very silver BMWs, any any number of estate cars. Mm. And I do keep looking at those, but I, I don't think diesel is a very good idea these days, to be honest. Anyway, we, we, we watch with interest as to what you decide to go for. My vote would certainly be for a Golf R estate or otherwise a, a maybe a, a Cupra Leon estate, I think would be an, a slightly unusual choice, but quite an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, that that's another one on the radar. I can do you a good deal in a Peugeot estate. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, you no, stop. Yes. No. Find offer though that if we, is. If we take anything away from this podcast, it's for the love of God, don't buy a Peugeot unless you think it's disposable. <laughs> How do I tell Auto Trader that a Mini Clubman is not an estate? It's an estate. <laughs> it's not really, is it? Well, it is. It's an insult. It's a slightly inflated hatchback. 
you used to be able to get a mini clubman estate back in the olden days because our next door neighbours had one, and that was a proper yeah. mini mm. clubman estate. Sometimes referred yeah, to as that, a long. That was proper. This this is just a slightly straight. I mean, I know an estate is just a slightly stretched and flat-backed saloon, but it's an estate of a hatchback. But a hatchback is kind of an estate shape anyway. Now you can get a John Cooper Works estate, which is an abomination as far as I'm concerned. But you know, if you want your two tiny mongrels plastered against the uh, rear tailgate as you take off, it's fine. That's up to you. But there's no room in it for anything else, and it's a, one of the most pointless vehicles on the planet, I think. I think it's it's you're saying mongrels. Do you mean children or pets? <laughs> no, I was referring to dogs. Yeah. I think it's three hundred something of brake horsepower there, but they Is they it? look huge. They look like the um, what are those fish at the bottom feeders? They they from the front they have the eyes and the mouth, and it's just very wide, very very big. It doesn't look quite right to me. I don't. I know quite a few people that have got them, and they think they're fantastic, and I kind of uh, can understand why the performance and everything else is exciting but yeah they they don't quite uh, fit with the whole mini thing but then mini are, are going back to making small cars again soon so the next generation of mini is going to be closer in size to my one than it is to the new one and not before time mm. exactly. yeah i guess on that note it's probably time for some of us to go to bed so here we are with our uh, our hot milk and slippers and time to say goodbye to all thanks for listening to us wrap it on about uh, about cars about sleepers and everything else i've been mike good night i've been jim goodbye take care I've been Graham, uh, good night and sweet dreams. And I'm Dave and I'm off to go and play with Auto Trader. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.